0: Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, the zone. All right, we are getting closer and closer. Friday night football. BYU and Utah State, plus week eight of the high school season, obviously. There will be plenty of football on Friday. But the BYU-Utah State game, really intriguing, with the Aggies off to a 3-1 and start that really nobody saw coming. Uh, with Blake Anderson, it seemed like there was so much work to do. After that one-win season they had last year, if they come flying out with three wins and then, boom, drop a tire into the first pothole of the year. and Everybody's bouncing around inside the car. How do they bounce back from that Boise State game? And for BYU, well, the Cougars, 4-0, got to change quarterbacks, doesn't seem to be a big deal. They're throwing touchdown passes, they're lighting it up is 5-0 in the cards. They're ranked 13th in the country. Here is BYU wide receiver Neil Pau as BYU gets ready for the trip to Logan to face Utah State.
1: You Neil, know, we've talked about the leadership side before, and, you know, it's a team game. All three phases have to work together, and when you have one that, you know, has a little bit rougher half like the defense did last week. It's a team thing to make sure everybody's together. It sounded like after the game that everybody felt that. What has to happen to maintain that and make sure the team's always that way, no matter what
2: happens uh, on the field? Um, I think it's probably accountability during the week, uh, making sure that everyone's on the right page and uh, not taking the team for granted. Um, I think when we jumped out to 21-0 lead, we just kind of expected that they'd go away. Um, and that we just kind of walk away with it. But they fought. They showed some heart, and they fought and stuff. And um, we're just thankful to just be 4-0.
1: You guys did have a lot of success offensively, Neil, and and that had to be fun. I mean, you didn't get as many possessions, but when you score touchdowns and what, five of eight possessions and the last one you kneel it out at the end, you, you know, isn't that about what you hope for as an offense?
2: Yeah, exactly. We wish that we would have had the ball a little more in the second half, Um, but we were able just to put it away with another uh, drive to kind of put the game away like we did with Utah and Arizona State. We needed one of those tough drives to run out the clock and uh, put our team in the best position to win, and we definitely did that. Jay,
1: go ahead. Hey, Neil, where does uh, Utah State
2: rank on uh, kind of your list of rivals at BYU? Um. I don't know, a rival, I guess, to BYU fans. I've never seen um, Utah State as a rival. I know that we – there's the wagon wheel and stuff, but I've only played them once. I didn't play them the the last time that we won it um, because I was suspended. So, I mean, I just see them as another team. Um, We saw Utah as another team, so that's what we're going to do it as. As
1: far as playing in front of a hostile crowd for probably the first time in almost two years, how are you guys approaching that?
2: We're excited. Um, we're excited. You know, as awesome as Lavelle has been the past two weeks with how loud it's been, it's been really loud. Um, we're excited just for the challenge to play away, to kind of hear the boos. Uh, I know a lot of athletes get up for that uh, when they hear booze and they hear taunting and Utah State definitely is hostile. So um, I think we'll be more than capable with what's coming out with the W. And as long as we just keep our composure and stuff, I think everything uh, should, should run smoothly.
3: Uh, Norma, you
4: have a question? Yeah. Neil, can you talk to us about the offensive line and just how important they've been to the success this year and just sort of evaluate them through the first four games?
2: Uh, they've been the reason why we won. Um, I know a lot of the offensive and defensive line, they don't get a lot of uh, picks and um, posts like some of the skills uh, do on offensive defense, but that's where games are won. And they are won. And... Um, Literally because of that. You saw in Arizona State and Utah, we couldn't get the passing game as, as uh, or we couldn't get it going as we did this past Saturday. Um, so we we're able to run the ball and find certain lanes. Tyler was able to hit, and it's all created because of that. So I know this past uh, Saturday, they took a lot of pictures of the big fellas, and the big fellas <laughs> were able to post it on their Instagrams and stuff and, and feel the love as well. So, um, yeah.
4: And just for you personally, do you have like any, I don't know, just like a certain play that maybe we may not have noticed where an offensive lineman really helped you to be able to succeed?
2: Um, I think if we catch a pass, I think every time we catch a pass, that means that the quarterback's getting enough time to throw it. Um, So I think I'll look at that as any type of play.
1: We've got time for one more question. Uh, Mitch, you want to go ahead?
5: Yeah. Neil, uh, you know, earlier today, uh, your coach, uh, Aaron Roderick, uh, commended you for how hard you practice, uh, saying that you're one of the hardest working uh, guys he's seen in, in practice before. Uh, where does that come from? What, uh, makes you just, you know, buy into the grind and work as hard as you can every single day?
2: Um, I think I just started taking it more serious just as years gone by. Um, I think you just grow and you mature. Um, you learn from other people. Uh, you learn from greats. Uh, you watch other people practice and they perform on Saturdays in the way that they perform. So there has to be um, something in the pudding for why people practice so hard and then why it comes so easy or seems like it comes so easy during game days to them. Um, so talking with some of the guys that have went drafted or undrafted and them talking about some of the NFL guys that they've met or um, watched certain people that I've played with since I've been here. Uh, that's kind of been pretty much it.
0: There is Neil Pau. Now here is Gunner Romney, whose brother came in, lit it up, threw a couple of long passes to uh to his brother. Gunner had over hundred yards receiving. Baylor had over three hundred yards throwing. They combined for one of the three touchdowns that uh that Baylor threw for in that game. Here is Gunner Romney with the media on ninety-seven and twelve eighty of the zone.
1: We talked to Baylor about your um, you know, the connection, having the chance to to have the T D pass and and make those plays. What did it mean mean to you?
6: Um, it meant a lot, uh, especially just seeing how hard my older brothers worked. You know, I um, it was one of the coolest touchdowns I've caught because you know my brother he's he he deserved that. He deserves everything that he gets because of how hard he's worked for it. So I think really that's what that's what made it so cool.
1: You know, even Baylor said that you know traditionally a, a guy shouldn't lose a job because of an injury, and I know Baylor's pushing Jaron to be there as much as it is, what's what's that like for you because of the brother relationship, the friendship you have with Jaron, and, you know, even Jacob and, and those guys, that, that whole situation, you know, how do you, how do you deal with it emotionally just because these are guys you care about and you want to see them all be successful?
6: Yeah, I mean, I just try not to pay attention to it, really. I mean, whoever is going to be the starter is going to be my quarterback and I'm going to be catching balls from him. But in the end, it's not my decision. Um, it's, it's Coach Roderick and, and the, the offensive uh, coordinator's decision. Um, so I mean, I just I just leave that up to them. I, I try not to stress about it.
5: Mitch, do you have a question? Yeah, Gunnar, uh, is there a little bit more incentive with this game this week with a trophy at stake? The the wagon wheel you guys had that two years ago up in Logan, and there's a big celebration after. Is is that incentive at all for to add to to this week's game?
6: Um, a little bit for sure. I mean, they are rival. Um, we want to go in there to their to their home field and get a win. Um, but in the end, it's just another game, you know, it's, it's just another, we look at games one week at a time and this is the game that we have next. And so really it should be treated as any other game should be.
5: Was uh, on Saturday's game uh, against USF. Did you guys feel like, I mean, was that kind of a, a breakthrough performance for the offense where he's only had about 50 plays and, and it, he scored 35 points still was it a situation where you felt like anytime you guys got the ball, you were going to put up points.
6: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one thing we've talked about as an offense is we needed to get going. We needed to find a rhythm. I think we finally found it and hopefully, you know, it'll carry on throughout the whole season because we've been, we've been looking for that breakout that we had. Let's go Jared and
5: then Jake.
1: We've talked to some of the guys, Gunner, about, you know, going on the road for the first time, but I wanted to ask about having a day less of preparation. These game weeks seem to fly by. I know you guys have a lot of work that you try and get in. What difference does that have? Because you guys have been through it before. Does it make a difference when, when you're a day short?
6: Yeah, it for, for sure does. And that's one thing that um, people kind of pick up the urgency a lot, but it's hard because, you know, when you come back, usually on Monday, it's more of a recovery type day we practice lighter without shoulder pads um, and kind of take that day to review film from the past game. Um, but you know, we can't do that this week. We have to jump right into it, even though some of us may be beat up. Some of us are still sore from, from Saturday. We just got to jump right into it because we leave on Thursday to go up there. So we'll really only have three full days of practice. Um, so we got to jump on that immediately. And, um, it does add urgency and it, it takes away some time of preparation. So we just have to, to use the time that we have, um, because it's more valuable. And I
1: don't know how much you've looked at, but what have you seen from Utah State's defense so far?
6: Um, I really haven't looked at them too much yet. That's that's what um, today's for. But, you know, they're a solid defense. They're, uh, they're very, very much improved from the last time we played them. And so we got to go in and just have the mentality that, you know, they're going to be a great team and, and we got to play our best to beat them.
0: Go ahead, Jake. Yeah, Gunnar, I, I know we've asked you this question in the past, especially when you and Baylor played together before,
1: but how cool is it to have your brother throwing passes to you?
6: No, it's an awesome experience. Um, you know, sometimes I forget that, uh, you know, playing Division One football is is not a lot of people get to do that. And then especially with my brother here, um, you know, there's been only a handful of people. We have a couple other brothers on the team, but no quarterback-receiver connections that I can think of. Um, and so it's... It's, it's a really cool experience. And sometimes I forget about how unique this experience is that we're going through.
2: Um, looks like we got a last question from Sean Walker.
6: Governor, I'll make this one really quick, but uh, you talked about the wagon wheel. And I, I think it's one of the coolest and maybe most underrated trophies in college football, whether this is a rivalry game or not. Um, you've, I, I think you've been able to lift up that, that wheel one, maybe once before in your career. How heavy is that thing? Um, yeah, you're not lifting it up by yourself. That's for sure. It's it's pretty it's pretty stocky. Um, but I'm, you know, hopefully looking forward to, to lifting it up again with a couple of my teammates this weekend.
0: All right, there are the Cougars, Neil Pau and Gunnar Romney to get things started. When we come back, PK and I talking football with Riley Jensen. You know, it's an interesting thing with the, uh, the BYU Cougars going up to Logan, the Cache Valley. Utah State's backyard—it's got a lot of BYU fans in it. it. Leaves a little tension in the rivalry. Riley will get to that, and also to uh, evaluating the two quarterbacks at BYU and at Utah State, and how things are going to work out going forward. Both those schools like they look like they've got two good quarterbacks, and also uh, Riley—you know—as a background. Um, in psychology, that people call him the mental performance coach, and what would he do if he were working with the University of Utah, going through a second tragedy, a second member of that football team killed in nine-month span in gun violence, and it is uh, it is just brutal. And uh, Riley's thoughts on that. We'll get to all of that next. Stay with us.
4: It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The Aggies welcome in BYU to Maverick Stadium for another chapter in their long rivalry with the Cougars. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action, beginning with the Aggie pregame show Friday at 6 on 1280 AM with a postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to all the play by play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280, The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJP Gates, 97.5, and 1280,
0: The Zone. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joins us now on the Smart Rain Guest Line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain is having an end of season sale on the Irrigation Smart Controller. Save 50% off each smart controller purchased. Offer available to all commercial properties. Own listeners, visit smartrain.net to schedule a demo today. Riley, good morning. Good morning, fellas. What's going on? Many things are happening. We'll start with the sports and the hardcore football first. We'll get to fan behavior later. Are your Aggies ready to bounce back after that three-point offensive debacle against the Broncos? So many yards, so right. few points. Or <laughs> level of competition has gone up. The first three games are bound to look different than the next two because of the quality of the opponents in uh, games four and five.
7: Well, you certainly hope that they'll bounce back from the way that they played on Saturday. Um, I don't know if it was a 10 o'clock in the morning start. I'm sure that they have... Plenty of excuses for you know why they weren't able to move the ball offensively. Because for the most part, in the first three games, they've been able to move it. Um, I think the silver lining for Utah State right now is that South Florida was able to move the ball. They were able to move it around with a with a mobile quarterback, which I think Peasley brings to the table. You know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what they're going to do with Logan Bonner and Peasley and how they're going to use that combination or. if 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 Bonner's totally healthy. But I think Peasley brings some things to the table that the quarterback in South Florida brought last week, and I think that they'll probably, probably try and exploit some of those things because I'll tell you what, when Peasley gets out in the open field, it, it's pretty impressive how how well he can run the ball. Now, on the flip side, you, you, you go to BYU and you go, yeah, we're going to take the exact game plan that Boise State used, we're going to implement that, and we're going to lean on Utah State. We're gonna be physical with them and we're gonna we're gonna not turn the ball over and, and, and go after them. So I, I actually anticipate that both teams will play a little bit better with the exception of the first quarter. I think it'll just be a little bit of like filling each other out, figuring out what they're gonna do, and then, then I think it'll be a fun football game to watch.
8: So you're calling it Blake Anderson needs to start Peasley, huh? No,
7: that's <laughs> you know you know, PK. No. No, don't listen.
8: I know Don't listen, you you okay. To get, he doesn't. You try, to get,
7: you try to get people to to, to break down, Yeah, get them to say, I hate that school, I can't yep. stand that school. I I see what you're doing here. I'm, I'm an old veteran. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> getting into an old person. You might have gotten I,
0: I was 24. <laughs> I love that. Hot Rod used to always say the young rookie. <laughs> it
8: drove me nuts, and you're the old veteran. He just said they saw weakness with the South quarterback running around, and Peasley has that ability. The guy's got a big-time motor. So wouldn't that logically lead to the question, do you think they should start Peasley? And then he attacks me. <laughs>
7: I'm, somehow I'm feeling bad for Jackie right now because I feel like something just got like wrapped into this conversation that wasn't there. <laughs>
8: <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Why even try? Why? <laughs> Throw your hands up in the air! Please. I already it's so, did. It's such
7: hard work. It's hard work.
8: <laughs> Jeez! So much no, for I'm being the positive like reporter. Peeley,
7: and I, <laughs> I think one of the things that I love about this game is there's a lot of good quarterbacks. I I have been very impressed with the first and second string quarterback at both BYU and Utah State. And I I think you have to give a lot of credit to Peasley, and you got to give oh, a lot of credit to Baylor Romney. Those two guys, and it's not an easy position to be in. They have been ready to go whenever their number has been called, and so if, if Utah State does do that, or 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 BYU feels like the Jaron Hall is not ready to go, I I think we're still going to see high quality quarterbacking out of out of both schools.
0: Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joining us. Uh, Is BYU's offense that good and they were holding back some stuff uh, just because they didn't need it and they were trying to shorten games and they had the lead? Or that deep passing game we saw, was that a function of the opposition or the changing at quarterback? What what was it? Because all of a sudden BYU's (laughs) throwing the ball over the top and making big plays.
7: Well, I personally feel like I mean, look, I, I, there must have been something in the South Florida game plan that they saw just to call those plays. But uh, I'll be honest with you, I was very impressed with Baylor Romney, and I know I know people are gonna like like shake their heads when I make this comparison, but I feel like he's a college version of Joe Montana. I mean, he wears number sixteen. He's he's deceivingly fast. He's very accurate on the deep ball, and I was just way impressed, and I have been. Since Baylor's been in the program, I know that we all fall in love with these running quarterbacks. But, but Baylor Romney's kind of a throwback to, to the to the typical pocket quarterback that we all loved and, and grew to love back in the '90s and the, and the early 2000s, right? And he's—I mean—his accuracy on the deep ball is off the charts. Just let me give you an example here. When when I when I coached and when I played, I really felt like. I needed to be up in the 70 to 80 to 90% on all these short balls, right? So these quick hitches, these little bubble screens. And we didn't do as much of that when I was playing as when I was coaching, right? But I wanted my quarterbacks to be at an extremely high percentage on those so that we could get defenses to scoot up a little bit, scoot up a little bit, scoot up a little bit. And then I was super happy. This is the, this is the honest truth. I was super happy if we were like two for four on a deep ball in a game or if we were three for six, I felt like, man we were really efficient in the deep game and to see him throw the ball and just put on the money on these wide receivers I, I thought it was really impressive especially for being his first start in a while and uh, I, I mean my, my my hat goes off to him I I think he's a very accurate quarterback and a very capable quarterback I can't say enough good things about Romney and I, I liked the way Jaron Hall was playing so I don't it doesn't make me feel better if Jaron Hall doesn't play. I'll put it that way as a Utah State
8: fan. So you're saying if given the opportunity to full-time be a full-time starter, Romney can be better than Detmer?
7: <laughs> better than Guy Detmer? Is he, this
8: is, is this where we're going again? We're I'm asking! <laughs> is he a better passer I, than Jaron Hall? I well, you said Detmer. So I, I know, I'm, I'm just kidding. Saying, now I think, I'm being serious. Is I think, he a better passer a better, than Hall? I think he's a better pure passer than
7: Hall. I think Hall brings other... I also think Hall's a very good passer, but I think Hall brings a couple of other things to the table so I can see why he's been named as the starter. So I, I would have... I probably would have done it the same way, but and then again, i got to point out just the ability of Aaron Roderick to develop quarterbacks right now. I mean, listen, this quarterback was prepared for that last game, and he knew exactly where he was supposed to go with the ball. Um, a lot of times when I'm watching a quarterback play, I'll try and just watch his body language after he throws the ball. I can almost always tell you whether it's a completion or not. I call, it, I call it confidence throws. Like when you see a quarterback throw the ball, there's kind of a body language and just like a reaction to the throw in the way his body looks after he throws the ball. That, that can tell you without looking downfield whether it's going to be a completion or not. And there was an extremely high amount of confidence throws from Baylor-Romney. To me, that indicates that he knows the offense, he's been prepared during the week, and he knows where he's supposed to throw the ball.
0: So who's going to win that game in Logan Friday night?
7: So... I've been thinking a lot about this as i uh, you know, knowing that I was going to come on this phone call. I think it is really, really important for BYU to kind of like out BYU Utah State. Like they need to be the physical team. I think James Embry and the boys up front. They really need to lean on Utah State early. They need to they need to get a couple of scores early to give Utah State some doubt. And they really need to lean on them, not turn the ball over, play this really high-quality defense they've been able to play if they want to win. If Utah State wants to win, first of all, they need to break off the, the cobwebs of last game, and they need to get into the end zone in the first quarter, hopefully a couple of scores for Utah State in the first quarter, and turn this game into a game where it's a high-scoring affair. I think, I think the edge leans to Utah State if this becomes a high-scoring affair, I think the edge is to BYU if it's a ball-control, like, limit turnovers type of game. But I think if if Utah State gets in a shootout like they did against Air Force, if they get in a a situation where they have to score a lot of points and they're able to score a lot of points, I think they're a scary team because they get really, really confident as the game goes on. And if BYU comes out and really just leans on them and hammers them at the first part of the game and then – continues that, I think that's going to be hard for Utah State to overcome.
8: So you went, you got your certification, I don't know what to call it. what you get your certification in? What would it be? How would you phrase it?
7: So my degree is in sport and performance psychology. They call me a mental performance coach or a sports psychology consultant.
8: Okay, so with that in mind, obviously Utah has had two major, major tragedies in the span of nine or ten months. Now, from the football perspective, which to a degree seems irrelevant, but nevertheless they've got games to play, if they were to employ you, given the tragedy that uh, befell befell the program last week, what would you do?
7: I mean that's a, that's a really nuanced question, and there's a lot of moving parts to that. With sure. you know over a hundred guys on a team, yeah. but I would I would say this: uh, I think it's a good thing that there's a bye week this week, and I think it's a good thing for the players to be able to um, maybe sit down and go through just just some gratitude exercises. There's so much as far as the science and the research goes as far as gratitude goes, and that's not. That's not being a church lesson, but being grateful for what you have, being grateful for the relationships that you have, being grateful for the relationships that you have had. Um, It can build self-esteem. It can help with trauma. Gratitude is really, really good with trauma, which this situation is going to be a trauma to a lot of these players. And then what I would probably focus on as far as performance, and once we've had a chance to, like, Sort of, yeah, I mean, none of them are going to go through the full process of grieving this week, but sort of be able to acknowledge the grieving and the gratitude and the things that they have. Then what I would be very, very specific about if I was working with an individual player is is really just getting through each day and and having a focus on each practice where you just kind of reduce everything to like one thing that I'm going to work on today or one thing that I'm going to try and get better at today. Instead of overwhelming yourself with all the things that you need to do, because what can what can happen in these situations is when, when emotions take over the frontal lobe, and when emotions and grief are are overtaking your body, it becomes <clears throat> difficult to focus, and it becomes difficult to not uh, feel and see and hear all the voices that are going on in your head, and so there's going to be a lot of it pulls you in a lot of different directions and so the best way to help someone to focus is just to have them focus on one thing a day or one thing in practice or one thing in the next hour just really simplify a lot of the things that are going on my heart goes out to these players this is this is heavy stuff right this is someone that was like in the locker next to you this is someone you were joking with last week this is someone that you were celebrating with after the game last week and you know, the finality of it is very, very real and so my heart goes out to the program, my heart goes out to those players especially because if you ask any football player that I know that's played Division One football, high school football, junior high football, to a T, um, they don't all miss the practices, but they sure miss their friends and they sure miss those relationships. And so that's where this becomes really, really heartfelt and and really, really hard for these players is those those relationships I mean, some of the football players I played with, I mean, we haven't seen each other in years. We'll see each other at a football game and we're joking in the exact same manner. It's like we haven't even missed a beat. And that's some of the things that I miss the most. And and that's one of those things that you feel like is taken away um, when a tragedy like this happens.
0: So, uh, since you said it was so nuanced, I'm curious one of the nuances... Uh, because this group of people has gone through this now twice in less than a year almost almost nine months to the day does that add a whole nother level to it I mean you talk about PTSD and that I, I, I would think that that's got to be even more brutal and, and one standalone event like this would be brutal but to have two in a month seems like no a, another level
7: no question it's another level and I think one of the things that I think about in this is look not everybody was best friends with this guy right and not everybody was best friends with ty jordan and i don't mean that that you don't like him but there's there's different people that you hang out with more on a team especially in a team that size um and so there's all there's all sorts of guilt there's all sorts of shame and different things that happen to people in the sense that like why am i not feeling worse about this or there's just all these nuanced parts of grief where we have this picture of what grief is supposed to look like for us. And then when it doesn't look like that picture, we wonder if something's wrong with us, right? And we wonder if something's wrong with our systems. And typically, there's nothing wrong with the people that are grieving. They're just grieving in different ways. And then there's the whole interlaced and nuanced picture of feeling like other people should grieve the same way that you grieve right and and looking at that and making judgments on other people um, on whether they're grieving the way you think they should grieve and so that's where it gets really nuanced right and then when you make your own comparison yourself like why did i feel worse about ty's death than i do about aaron's death or why do i feel worse about this one than i did about the last one or do i or do they feel the same It, it just becomes confusing and sometimes difficult to unpack that's 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 why it's nuanced, right? There's just a lot of different feelings that go into
0: this. Riley, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Hey. Thanks for letting me come on the show, man. Um, hey, one, I got one. I do have one more thing for you on a much lighter okay, note than we okay. just hit there. Uh, no, I'm curious th- because you've gone to so many Utah State games. We got a question here about what BYU fans should expect if they go to Logan for the game, you know, and if they've gone to Utah and all that. And it came down to uh, some Aggie fans uh, and, and BYU fans being upset that both are church members, but they're at each other's throats over the rivalry. How does that work in the Cache Valley, Utah State fans? getting upset with the BYU fans who live in the Cache Valley because you live there.
3: Yeah, it's
7: an it's an interesting... I mean, you have to remember, you know, I just I grew up not far from the campus. I mean, I was like three or four blocks from the campus in Logan, and then um, I moved to Salt Lake when I was 14. But, I mean, there's professors, there's, there's people who are members of the Mormon Church who graduated from BYU or right there in the Cache Valley, and it is... It is a little bit of a source of contention. There is some, there is some resentment in Cache Valley for people who live in Logan that are BYU fans. They're, 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 it's palpable, and I remember, I remember just knowing as a young kid who the BYU fans were in the neighborhood that lived in Logan, and it was like, huh, I wonder why, why do they do that, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, and then there was my my own thought processes where. I really cheered for b y u in every game except for Utah State growing up and um you know as far as like um, the 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 competition or the thought process of that going on in the stadium, I mean look, Utah State doesn't have as many fans as the University of Utah, but they're passionate and they're they're very emotional about their team, so I don't expect to be you know like a level down like oh we're gonna be super super like super kind if if Utah State's getting beat really bad up there. But I also think that Utah State fan in and of itself, they, they try to be kind to the opposing teams. But the BYU game, it just kind of it, it amps it up a little bit. The emotions will be on the sleeves of Utah State
0: fans, no question about it. Thank you, Riley. We appreciate it. Take
8: care, guys. Have a great day.
0: There is Riley Jensen, and as always, we love having him on. When we come back, a guy we rarely have on, Luke Robitaille, he is the president of the Los Angeles Kings, and the Kings have the Frozen Fury event with the Vegas Golden Knights. It's actually the uh, first of uh, three consecutive years that those two teams are going to be meeting here at the Vivint Arena, and we will talk hockey with him next. Stay with us.
4: It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't
0: over till
4: it's over. Kalani Satake and BYU take their undefeated record to Logan for a showdown against the Aggies. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action beginning with a Cougar preview show. Friday at 6 on 97.5 FM with a post-game show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 12.80, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. Well, the LA Kings are coming back to town. They've been here a couple times for preseason games, and now they got a three-year deal with the Vegas Knights to come up here and play. I think there's a lot of Southern Californians up here, and obviously Vegas is pretty close, and people are driving up and down I-15 all the time, so natural these two teams to be coming to Utah. They're going to play a preseason game tonight. You can get your tickets at VivintArena.com. They start at $39. This will be the third time that the Kings have been here, and they'll be here the next couple of years as well with Vegas. So bringing the NHL hockey to Utah, and we talked a lot about a lot of NHL topics um, from the Olympics to the Golden Knight success to the Kings winning two Stanley Cups, but having to rebuild Missing the playoffs three years in a row. They've only been to the playoffs twice in seven years, and they lost the first round series both times. So we had Luke Robotai on late in yesterday's show. He references tomorrow night a couple times, but uh, the game is tonight at Vivint Arena. All right, DJ and PK, here we are with Luke Robotai. Luke joins us now. Luke, good morning. Hi.
3: Hey, good morning, guys. Bring How in are, the, are you today?
0: Doing well. You're bringing the NHL to Utah. And uh, although we never met, I understand you have spent a considerable amount of time in Utah and have ties to the Utah area. He owns property, doesn't he? And, yeah, and can speak to Utah yeah. a little more than the average NHL person.
3: Yeah, I know the area pretty well. The Heber Valley, you know, the whole area there. and Been there for many years, so love it there.
8: So Wasatch or Ledges or Promontory, where do you play? Uh,
3: well, I played them all. <laughs> I played them all. <laughs> Not well, and I visited like all the sides, side to side.
8: <laughs> so I got to share a little funny story with you. I, I used to work for the South Bay Daily Breeze based out of Torrance in the 90s and yeah. uh, and we played uh, I played softball and the Kings had a team Jim Fox was on the team and we always used to like to beat them over there at Wilson Park in Torrance but uh, so I worked in the sports department and I think it was the year that you guys went to the uh, the Stanley Cup finals what was that 93 so we had our yeah, hockey yeah our hockey guy wrote a big feature on you and we had the headline and the, the headline the guys on the desk wrote the headline Luke of the Draw was kind of a play on your name but some dumb editor changed it to luck of the draw, and it really ticked off the guy who wrote the headline and the guy who wrote the story. I'm sure you don't remember it, but that's one thing that I remember from the 90s for Luke Robitaille. Every time I hear the phrase luck of the draw, I think of Luke Robitaille and how the editor changed that headline.
3: So, do you think he brought in bad luck to our organization? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sure sounds like it.
8: I don't know. I know you haven't been in the playoffs. I think for three years. So, what what is the level uh-huh. of optimism going into this season?
3: Right, for us, uh, you know, in, in the NHL, having a hard cap, it's uh, we had a really good run, and uh, you know, around 2011 till about 2015, 16 and then uh, we just had to rebuild our team we had to uh, to just go back to the draft and so forth so we've been kind of loading up the last two three years we have number one pool of prospect coming into our organization so we're excited this is the first year that we said okay we're turning the page we're done with the rebuild so we signed a couple free agents this summer we made a trade and uh, so our guys, our veterans are excited because we're getting in some new fresh blood coming in. We've had the number two overall last year drafted in Quinton Byfield. And so we're excited. This is like our time for us to turn the pages to getting back into being competitive. It's not like the NBA where you could get two guys and then yeah. you could... <laughs> competitive, and in the third guy, you're pretty much sure to be in the top four or five. Right. It's a little harder.
0: <laughs> but I do think in all the salary cap leagues that there has to be a certain understanding, and baseball, you set that aside because they're not capped, but in the salary cap leagues, a certain understanding that you go for it for a while, and you guys won it all, you yeah. to the cup in 2012 and 2014, and the year in between, you were in the conference final, and... Is it? but from the fan perspective and also inside the organization the good times are good, now you've only played two playoff series in seven years and you lost them both, but it's the salary cap and there are cycles, is it worth it or the downtime's so bad you're like oh man, this is killing me or or can you kind of convince yourself, hey, the uptimes are worth it and we're rebuilding, it's okay
3: There's nothing like winning a championship, guys I mean, the the fans will remember forever, the They live with you forever, and it's amazing. Uh, I think, yeah, we we look back now, we're like, man, we haven't done much the last six, seven years. But there was a time that we still had hope for two, three, four years. Probably the one mistake that we made that we learned along the way is uh, to, unfortunately, in this kind of cap era, you you know, fans fall in love with players because when you win a championship, they become heroes. And at some point, probably it's, it's, it's easier for them and for the organization to say goodbye earlier to some of the guys because you just can't keep everybody. You can't sign everybody to what the, the amount of money they deserve to be able to to stay competitive for a longer period of time. And that's what makes it really hard in a in a hard cap era.
8: I know your coach so far in the preseason game, McClellan's been playing a lot of youngsters. And what should the fans expect when they come to the arena to see the game against Las Vegas?
3: Well, I, well, tomorrow for us, we've got most of our roster. We got a ton of guys playing. so we're 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 going down today on our roster. we're 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 having a few cuts. so, you know they should expect to see our top guys they're going to expect to see some of our top prospects so it's going to be a fun game and and also funny enough I mean Vegas has been so competitive they've done such a great job with their franchise they're already a huge rival of ours so those games are always super intense so they should they should expect a great game tomorrow I mean Vegas is a great great team great organization so it's going to be a lot of fun for that game tomorrow
0: So, when you go, and I don't know how often you go on the road with the team, but if you go on the road to Vegas for a Kings game... I, I mean, I grew up in San Diego and lived in Southern California for a long time. And Vegas was always, well, in San Diego, we'd call them a bunch of LA wannabes, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> they were a bunch of LA wannabes. <laughs> so I assume you still have a Kings fan base there. There's certainly transplants there. So is it like a 70 30 crowd when you go to Vegas, or is it is it all Golden oh, Knights and you don't hear Kings fans?
3: Oh, no. I mean, it, it's amazing. You're right. We played there, you know, preseason games for about 15 years straight, and hmm. we get our fans fans come down. We had a huge base. None of them are Kings fans, I think. They're all Vegas Golden Knights fans. It, it's amazing. They have a great crowd. They support them. They follow them. There'll probably be quite a few of them tomorrow. It's uh, They've done an amazing job at, at making sure they, they have their following with them. and it, It's been fun. It's kind of funny. We, we, we gain a lot more hockey fans. Probably lost a few Kings fans for us, but I think it's good for our game. Yeah,
8: up here, too, and getting exposure to NHL right here in our city so the fans don't have to travel out of state. They can get it right here by coming into downtown. This is the third time that the Kings have been playing here since uh, 2018. Is this something that you're looking to continue?
3: Yeah. Yeah, we've been talking with the folks at Vivint Arena with the – the Jazz folks, so they've, been, they've been tremendous partners. We're really happy. And uh, we know we're coming back for the next couple of years, but we'd love to keep that going. It's just been a lot of fun. And I think the game with Vegas makes it a lot of fun, too. They're, both teams are pretty close. So it's, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing tomorrow, tomorrow night's crowd.
0: So, obviously, there's an expansion team in Seattle. Uh, there have also been teams moving. So, what do you think is the future for the NHL? Is there more expansion coming? How do, you, how do you think this is going to play out? Or, you need to keep those markets open in case another team needs to move?
3: Uh, I, I'm not seeing, uh, like, another expansion in the, in the near future in our league. There could be a couple teams that move. You never know. You know, we, we haven't had uh, too many people moving. I mean, so the Islanders moved just the arena, but not uh, in the in city. But that was it. And I don't foresee a lot happening as far as movement of our franchise in the next few years. Oh, so you we, th- we're starting to get a lot more stability, yeah. You think
8: Phoenix is, is settled?
3: Uh, no, the, that's the one uh, I was going to say, that's the, the, the one that's the not sure. But we keep hearing that they're getting closer and closer to get an arena right. in uh, either Scottsdale or Tempe. In that area. So we we keep hearing, like we were just there the other day, and they're talking about uh, it should be an announcement soon. And I don't know when that's going to be, though.
0: Luke Robotai joining us, the LA Kings team president. And the Kings and the Vegas Golden Knights have an exhibition game at Vivint Thursday night if you want to go see some NHL preseason hockey. I'm curious, uh, obviously, you know, because you're in the Hebrew Valley and you know how big a deal the Jazz are here and what the Olympics have done for basketball there's been some back and forth and now it looks like the nhl players are in the next olympics how does that hurt the nhl season stop in mid how does it help it what is the as a as an ex-player and now the team president what is the give and take from the business side and the hockey side over something like that
3: well funny enough from the business side you, you never really like to stop the season especially if you have momentum um but but you can adjust to it. Like I mean, it, it depends on how your team's doing. The one thing you hope is you you won't get your star to go there and get hurt because that that could really flip your season. But uh, from a hockey side, it's been good. It's been good for us to go in in the Olympics. I don't know how the time change is going to make the, the the availability of the games this year. But on this deal, our players really wanted to go. It's 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 always been clear that. Uh, when we uh, signed a new collective bargaining agreement that the players, they wanted that option to go to the Olympics. and They were the ones that wanted to go. So if they really want to go, well, we're fine with that. You know? So it should be a fun tournament. That means the guys are going to take it real seriously.
8: So I'm down in Vegas a lot for for personal reasons, and the amount of uh, popularity <laughs> what, that the
3: kind of, wait a minute, what kind of personal <laughs> had nothing to do with gambling,
8: gambling no, no, nothing more family, <laughs> okay. more family, more family issues <laughs> uh, 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 or circumstances, not issues but circumstances. <laughs> okay. uh, so it's all clean, it's all above board. I promise you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> and so, with that in mind, I mean, I have seen the popularity of the nights just explode. And it's really incredible. It's been a smashing success. And, of course, they've had a lot of success on the ice very quickly. And you've already alluded to it And for an expansion team and all that. What do you think has been some of the reasons for them to be able to hit the ground running to find success as far as a competitive team?
3: Well, it, it's, uh, you know, the, the competitiveness of it, like, first of all, their GM at the time, George McPhee, and now Kelly McCerman. they've done a tremendous job. They were very strategic. Like, our expansion draft changed. So that you were for sure they were going to get a good player from each team. So they took full advantage of it. Some teams wanted to keep some players, so they made trade. They gave extra picks and so, so forth. So they got a lot of assets to start with, and they made sure... They took full advantage of it. And then the other thing regarding the city itself is when they started, if you remember, there I think it was like a week and a half before the opener, there was the unfortunate event, the shooting there yeah. in Vegas. yeah, And it was horrible. So no, we didn't know if the season was going to start at the time and so forth. The one thing about hockey players is they – they do a lot off the ice. They give a lot. Guys, that are like, the hockey players are known to be good guys and so forth. So, no one knew any of those players, but everybody they they threw a jersey on all of them, and they visited everyone in each hospital in the city. And I think that had a huge impact. It gave, whether you could call it hope or, they got to talk with some of the people that were, you know, in in, in tough condition. They got to talk to the. Uh, the first responders and so forth and then right away it seemed to have an impact that people understood in Vegas that when you have a team they can make a difference they started raising money for people and so forth and they I don't know if you guys saw the opening night but they had like uh, all first responders coming on the ice with each player when they when they announced them and it, it just had this impact and then to make matters even better for them, I think they won four, out of 41 games at home, they won 32 that year, some some crazy number like that. And it was absolutely amazing. You know, they they just seemed like they couldn't lose. They had that momentum, and they just it right away catapulted the, the whole franchise. It was amazing.
0: Luke Robitaille joining us, uh, L.A. Kings team president. How, uh, quote-unquote, back-to-normal is the NHL going to be? Obviously, with the pandemic, everything was scrambled. Canadian teams playing each other, didn't have the traditional uh, divisions, and well, we could go on and on with all the differences. How, how close to normal is the NHL season going to be?
3: Well, the season will be there, but it's not, you know, normal, our normal now is different. You know, we've got to wear masks and people, you check vaccination, you check tests and so forth. It's not quite what it used to be, but we're starting to get closer to normal where fans are going to be accepted. I think 30 of our, out of 32 buildings will have 100% fans in our league, so at least that's going to happen. So From that standpoint, our players are looking forward to having fans in the stands and some noise because last year it was, it was really weird.
0: Well, Luke, we appreciate you bringing a little hockey, a little event back to town and uh, hopping on the air with us for a few minutes to talk about it. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you on a golf course somewhere.
3: Yeah, uh, hopefully I'll run into you. Okay? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Hopefully you guys, we'll see some people tomorrow night. Thank you.
0: There's Luke Robitaille joining us. The game is tonight. $39 tickets available at VivintArena.com for the Golden Knights. And the Kings, L.A. and Vegas squaring off. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are next.